Hey everyone, welcome to episode 128, Have More Time with Pomodoro Parenting. Meet our mom, Kelly Hutchison. She is a life coach. She is a child counselor. She is a teacher. She's a parent coach. And she's a mom to us. She will teach you to stop yelling at your kids. She will teach you to get your kids to lesson. She will teach you how to never sleep with mommy guilt again. She will teach you how to be an imperfect mom. So you can help your kids be imperfect too. And have harmony in the home. How about these titles? So someone sent me an email and they said, I like your fun titles, but it would also help what problem you're going to solve if you tell me in advance. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense because people want to know how can you help me? So I'm going to help you have more time with a technique that I did not come up with, but I read about it a couple of years ago and I helped teach my students this and it really, really helped them stay on task, finish their assignments on time. Because when you're teaching first grade, all the subjects just kind of blend into each other. Whereas in middle school and high school, you have bells and you have a start and a finish. So it's much harder in elementary school and just in general when you have this open schedule, so to speak. And I want you to remember that whatever we're teaching our kids, we have to learn it ourselves. So Grady has just taken up golf and he is obsessed with golf. And so when I started taking him to the driving range, he was whiffing it. And he would look at me like, what am I doing wrong? And I'm like, I don't know. And then I'd say, oh, let me show you how it's done, buddy. And then I would whiff it. He's like, well, that's not gonna help me. And I'm like, I don't know. So then he would start going golfing with David to the driving range. And then David could give him some pointers because David can actually hit the ball on a regular basis. I was like, David, do you ever whiff? And he looked at me like seven heads. Like he gets like par on holes and stuff. Like he's like a golfer and he's played all his life. So he can help Grady. I can't help Grady. I can just help him by clapping and cheering for him. Grady is a golf coach. The golf coach can help Grady. Grady's not whiffing the ball anymore. Out of 100, he probably whiffs zero. When he first started out of 100, he probably whiffed 75 of them. Now we didn't hit 100 back to back, but you get my point of just the practicing. He did large group, small group independently. He's always practicing in the yard. He has a little putting green in his room that his godmother Julie gave him for his birthday. So he's loving that. He's in the yard, always practicing his swing. He's going to the driving range. He has a golf coach. David helps teach him. So he's learning in large group because he's going to the classes, learning from other kids, learning from his coach. Then in small group, he'll go with me or he'll go with David to the driving range or with his friends. That's a small group. And then independently, see all those invisible hours he's putting in. He's also learning by watching on TV. So it's being modeled to him. And he and David are talking about different irons that the player is using and why and different woods and the driver and the putter. And oh, this is a good, you know, how to read the course. So this is how he's learning how to play golf. So the same thing works with any other skill that we're trying to teach. He's also learning, ironically, through his Nintendo Switch. He got Nintendo Golf where Mario's playing it. And then he also got like the PGA version. And he's learning so much by playing that way because he can get different strats as we call them. He's playing with David. So all these different ways he's learning the game, learning the sport. The same thing goes when we're teaching our kids about emotional literacy and managing their emotions and time management and being organized. They have to learn so much being an adult is hard. And think about all the things and all the trial and errors that you had to go through to become an adult and you still are going through every single day. I also want you to remember, and I always, always have to remind myself of how little their brains are and how undeveloped and how impressionable and how they just wanna be just like you. So if I don't know how to play golf, I can't help Grady. And that's fine because I can outsource that to a golf coach 
or I can have David help him more. Mario is helping Grady with golf more than I am. Okay, just put that into context a little bit. And that's okay. You don't have to know all the things. But whatever your kid's struggling in, it's probably an area that you struggle in too. And that's okay. I remember listening to the conscious parent. It was the most eye-opening, trajectory-changing sentence I had ever heard. She said, your child has been born with their own throbbing spirit and they are here to teach you where you need to grow. Now, I don't really need to learn how to play golf, but if he didn't have any coaches and he didn't have David and he didn't have friends that played also and he didn't have golf clinics, I would probably have to step up to the plate to learn golf through YouTube, through Mario, through talking to other people. But let's just pretend all those other things aren't there like David and the classes and the clinics. I would probably have to learn it if I want to teach it to him. So the same thing works with time management. If your kid's having a hard time being organized, if they're a hard time regulating their emotions. And I posted on Facebook, oh my goodness, this was literally such a fun post. I said, what's an irrational fear you had as a kid? For example, I was afraid to step on the drains in the shower because I thought I would fall in. I literally thought, this is like elementary school, that if I stepped on the drain at all, like even a pinky, that I would fall through the hole and be sucked down the drain. Like what? This is elementary school, people. This isn't like, you know, when I'm three years old. This is elementary school, bro. Okay. And like another one that I posted, you guys probably think I'm nuts. I thought the Michael Jackson poster in my room was real because everywhere I went in the room, Michael Jackson's eyes followed me. I didn't realize it was because he was looking right into the camera. Like what? That's what I thought. And then said poster, I sucked my thumb way longer than I was supposed to. My parents got me medicine to put on my thumb. I'm talking like elementary and middle school still sucking my thumb, but I hid it from my parents. Sorry, dad, if you're listening. And then once I got braces, I was like, ah, I think they spent all this money on braces. I should probably stop now. But before braces, like braces are the only reason why I stopped, but I hid it for years. And I thought that my parents installed hidden cameras behind Michael Jackson's eyes and they were spying on me to catch me sucking my thumb. Like this is how little my brain was. And there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing, we don't want to judge the little girl or the little boy inside of us and all our fears that we had. It just helps you kind of see their life from how little and immature and impressionable their brains are. So think back to a fear that you had that was irrational. I also had an irrational fear in elementary school that I was afraid to sleep over other people's houses. Not because I was afraid something would happen over there at the house because I had wonderful friends growing up in Coral Springs. I was afraid that if I went to sleep over at Ashley Roller's house, that my house was gonna burn down and I was gonna lose my whole family while I was sleeping over at Ashley's house. I literally felt that way. So I never slept over anybody's houses in elementary school. Middle school, for some reason, when you think about middle schoolers, if you have one or you've never met one, all of a sudden they kind of like wake up to like, oh, they start questioning things. And that's why the push-pull happens so much as a teen because they start thinking for themselves. Not that they weren't thinking for themselves K through five, but they really start thinking for themselves. And that push-pull and that pulling away is very painful, especially if you've ever felt rejection in the past. If you've ever felt rejection from a loved one or a parent or a sibling, when your teen or tween starts to pull away, it's very triggering. It's very isolating. It brings back old pain. And so then we get needier and graspier with our kids and our teens and our tweens. And then they push us away even more because we don't know how to play it cool. NBD energy. And I heard a therapist say something the other day. This is going to be a little daunting to hear. And it's a very strong word. So I want to put up all the disclaimers, but sometimes we need the stronger words to kind of wake us up to what's really going on. It's going to be painful to hear, but it's part of the process. And he said, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, that's so true. He said, your child's job when they are born is to slowly but surely abandon you as their parents so they can learn to spread their wings and fly. Conversely, 
your job as a parent is to allow your child to abandon you slowly but surely so they can spread their wings and fly. Now, the word abandon is very triggering and very painful. And what they're saying and what he was saying is the only way that they're going to learn how to fly on their own is if we give them the wings and we get out of their way. I was in the kids' ways for so many years. Now, this doesn't mean you abandon them and you leave them on the side of the road. The brain is going to go to all or nothing thinking. They hear the word abandon and alarm bells go off. But sometimes we need those alarm bells to go off to kind of wake us up to like, oh, this is supposed to happen this way. They're separate from me. They came through me, but they didn't come from me. They're their own throbbing spirit. Oh, okay, I see why Kelly was saying that. So some of you shared your fears that you had when you were little. And Andrew said, when I was little, we lived a block away from the Narrows. At night when it was foggy and ships would blow the foghorns and they sounded like cows mooing. I was so afraid that the cows were in my room. Like she literally thought as a little girl, the cows were in her room. Now notice when I was trying to think back to my scariest of scary thoughts, most of them were in elementary school because between elementary and middle, we moved from Coral Springs to Boca. So when I think about itty bitty fears of the irrational fears, it was usually when I was in Coral Springs. That's how I know the time frame when I was feeling it. If you lived in the same place, K through 12, then it's probably hard to delineate it. But I don't remember having these irrational fears when I was in middle school. I was doing sleepovers all the time in middle and high school. Never even dawned on me about the fire because your brain starts to grow up and it starts to crystallize and starts to think rationally. But when we're real little, we're so irrational and we are so afraid and it's very fight or flight. Megan said she was terrified of squirrels. No rhyme or reason. When Lily was like three, she was terrified of dogs. Even if a dog was across the street, three streets over, and she could see a little piece of fur and she's in her wagon, she would lose her mind. Now, guess what? She's obsessed with dogs and obsessed with Maggie. Nikki said she was terrified of the treadmill. She thought she would get sucked into the crack on the back. She had to run on those all the time as a kid at the hospital. Now that's very traumatic to see that treadmill and to be scared of a treadmill. Christine said, sleeping alone after watching a horror film that scared me for life, like The Exorcist. Yeah, that's pretty scary. Chelsea said, when I could hear my heart beating in my head, I thought I could hear the devil walking around in hell. These are real fears that we had. And I'm telling you, when we were little, we could stand in a court of law and testify how real they felt. And that's what our kids are feeling right now about different things. Barbara said, I thought my parents might secretly be monsters who took their human skin costumes off at night and that's why they wouldn't let me sleep in their room with them. These are normal people with normal fears because their brain is still growing and developing when we're little. Cheryl said, oh my goodness, the stairs with holes in between them, not solid steps. I always thought I would fall through. I still actually to this day don't like those types of stairs. And that's true because a lot of times, because today I stepped on the drain. This is what made me think about it. Today I stepped on the drain in the shower. It was like an old fear. And I was like, oh, I'm not scared of it anymore. But why did I hesitate when I stepped on the drain? And then it brought back all these memories. And then I was like, what else was I scared of? What else was I scared of? What else was I scared of? And even still to this day, like the manhole drains, no, 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 no. I will never step on those. And my principal at Naples Park, Dr. Chapman, she fell and broke her leg. You know, like on the sidewalks, when you have those, it's like sidewalk, sidewalk, and then it goes drain for all the water to go down. Well, she was getting out of her car, I believe, and she stepped out of her car and half her leg went into that drain and she broke her leg by falling in like that. She didn't fall all the way through. And I was like, oh my gosh, my worst childhood fear coming to life. Now she didn't go all the way down, but she broke her leg and she was in a cast for many, many months after that. So now whenever I see those drains, I always think about that. The other day I had to park to pick up Grady and it was kind of near the drain. I'm like, nope, I'll do another loop around the school. There is no way I'm parking in front of that thing as he steps in and I see it happen all over again. So I tell you all this because whatever skill they're trying to learn, 
when you think about it as a skill and all that goes into it and how their brain is so little and undeveloped, then you have more grace and compassion for your child to help them. Because a lot of times, so many parents will say to me, I just can't stop yelling. I just can't stop yelling. And once I start, I can't stop and I can't control it and I can't reel it in. And I'll say, well, what's your biggest complaint about your child? And they'll say, they just lose their mind. And once they start and they get upset, they can't stop. If something doesn't go their way, they lose their mind and they can't control themselves. And it just is a train that's gone off the tracks and they can't get back on the tracks. Now, it's much easier to see that in that example. Oh, the parent's having a hard time keeping control. So the child's having a hard time keeping control. And this is the beauty of this work is that we can learn together how to put the train back on the tracks. I guarantee if you're having a hard time with time management, your child will too or one of your children. And this is not a place from like, oh, I'm gonna beat myself up, I'm not good enough, I'm not good with time management, so now my kids are, now they're scarred because of me, now they're gonna do counseling, and now they're gonna do a therapist. No, 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 no. This is a journey, not a destination. It's like, oh, I could probably fine tune this and have a little more grit in this area. When I talked about grit and grace, another example to use that really, really helps people is think about it on a grading scale. Now, when I was in high school, I would get A's, B's, and C's. The A's were usually in PE. There's no reason why I shouldn't get an A in PE. Number one, I love sports. Number two, I love athletics. And number three, you pretty much just get a participation grade for dressing out. So if I'm getting a C or a D in PE, then I need more grit in PE. Like step it up, Kelly. If I'm getting a C in chemistry and it's really hard for me, I'm gonna give myself grace. Now, I didn't wanna get the C, but I was giving my best. I was giving my all in chemistry and that was really hard for me. So the C was the best I could do. So I gave myself grace that I was getting a C in chemistry. Does that make sense? So it's not all or nothing and it's not the same for all the people. David's a brainiac in science and math. So chemistry for him, he should probably get an A or a B because he, if he shows up, and he has grit and he does what he's supposed to do. It's gonna understand he's gonna do well on tests. He's gonna do well on quizzes. He's gonna, the homework's gonna be easier for him. So if he gets a B or a C, he should probably have a little more grit to get the A. Do you see why it's individualized for every person? The expectations we put on our kids, if we think about it, they have to be experts in math, reading, spelling, managing their emotions, sports, making friends, being social, being a leader, being a follower. They have to be like experts in all the areas. And when we think about our lives, we are falling apart at the seams in some areas. And that's okay, we don't get in trouble for it, but our kids get in trouble for not being masters in all the different domains and different areas of their life. So this is where we give our kids grace. And sometimes they need a little more grit. And that's the fine balance between the two. So the reason why I call this Pomodoro parenting and having more time is because when you create the schedule and you do block scheduling, remember you're putting in your rest time first. Some of you need grace when you have your rest time. Some of you are not resting at all. So you need to give yourself grace when you do rest and you beat yourself up when you're resting. Some of you are resting too much where you need more grit and it could be in different areas. So know that you can do have the balance between the two. And one thing that will really help you to realize if you need more grace or grit is when you go to do the thing and you hesitate and you procrastinate and you stall, then that's probably where you need more grit because your brain is afraid of putting itself out there. Your brain is afraid of doing extra work. Your brain is afraid of, remember it, all it wants to do is seek pleasure, avoid pain and be efficient. So the area of growth that you're working on, when it's hard or you put it off, this Pomodoro technique will help you so much to kind of five, four, three, two, one it and use the five second rule. So when the brain doesn't wanna work very hard, you kind of have to work with it and not be mad at it, not call yourself lazy, not call yourself a loser. All things that I've tried that don't work, beating yourself up does not ever motivate change. And usually most of us are beating ourselves up more than we're being nice to ourselves. So when we know that, we're like, okay, brain, we gotta work together on this because whatever it is, let's just say it's getting the house clean or it's exercising or it's making good choice with your finances or it's writing that blog or it's writing that book or it's creating that podcast. 
Whatever that thing is, your brain's gonna try to stop you when you go to do that thing. So the Pomodoro technique, if you ever Google it, it will show it all the time with like a tomato. I thought it was an apple. It will show it with a tomato timer, like a kitchen timer. Now you can use any timer that you want. I love my Apple Watch timer. You can also use what I used in the classroom, which really helped all of my kids, not just the kids with ADHD, because most of us have ADHD or ADD. Most of us have a hard time keeping our attention for longer than 35 seconds. So I don't want you to always beat your child up mentally in your brain that there's something wrong with them that they have a hard time keeping their focus. Because when you think about your life and think about our lives, our brain gets distracted because it doesn't want to do the thing. It's kind of like a whiny toddler when we go to do the thing. And that's completely normal. It never goes away. So the Pomodoro technique is a time management method developed by Francesco Cicerello in the late 1980s. It is a timer to break work into intervals, traditionally 25 minutes in length, separated by short breaks. So the step-by-step is you choose your task and the total time you're going to work on it. This goes back to block scheduling because people will say, well, how long do I allot to do the XYZ task? And I always say it's, you'll get it finished in the time that you allot. And whatever you don't get finished carries over into the next day. Even if you only clean half a bathroom, you've still kept your schedule and you've cleaned for that amount of minutes and you'll get it next time. You set a timer to 25 minutes, either with an egg timer or with an app. There is an app called the Pomodoro Technique or there's a timer app. There's lots of timers out there. So I don't want you to get hung up on that because a lot of times we get stuck in the A line of the model. You're going to work on the task for 25 minutes. Then you're going to take a five-minute break for energy renewal. Start another Pomodoro. Take a 20, 30-minute break after completing four Pomodoros. So they're 25-minute increments. Now, you'll say, Kelly, I don't have 25 minutes to complete the task. A lot of times you don't need 25 minutes. Sometimes it might be one minute to empty the dishwasher. But when you're racing against the timer and you're trying to finish in in that allotted time, you're using a strat, you're using a timer to complete the unfun I know that's not a word, but the uncomfortable task. Let's just say uncomfortable because uncomfortable could just mean putting yourself out there being vulnerable or it could be doing something that's just like, ugh, I have to empty the dishwasher, really? Are you kidding me? That's what your brain goes. I'll do it later. Why even bother? The house is a mess. And so we don't take any action and it just gets messier and it just builds up. And I promise if stalling and putting it off and procrastinated made it go away, I would be all for it. But it actually makes it bigger and bigger of a frog to eat, so to speak. So when we eat the frog, we rip off the Band-Aid, then we have rest time built in and we can remind the brain, remember brain, we're gonna get rest time. I know it's hard for you to rest, but we're gonna do that rest time as a reward. So the Pomodoro technique is very helpful because it helps get your brain going. And instead of looking at the huge task of cleaning the bathroom, you just tell the brain, oh, brain, it's okay. We're only gonna do five minutes of cleaning the bathroom. We're just gonna wipe down the counters. Now, sometimes when you get in and you've allotted 25 minutes and you tell your brain, I'm going to do five minutes because you want to rest longer. Sometimes you'll do the whole 25 minutes because getting started is the hardest part. That ripping off the Band-Aid, that eating the frog, the five, four, three, two, one, hardest part on the planet. Once you get going, you'll create that momentum and then you'll have what's called the big mo. And when you have the big mo, that's momentum, it builds upon itself. And you know that you're working against the timer. Now, sometimes you can teach this to kids. And if they're little, you could say, let's try to beat the song. Or I'm going to set the timer on the microwave. How many minutes do you think it will take you? So it's almost like a game of like, you ever seen that show, Um, Name That Tune? I mean, this is an oldie but a goodie. But it was like, I can name it in one note. I can name it in two notes. I can name it in three notes. And they would keep going back and forth. Okay, name that tune. And so the same thing works with your kids. When you're trying to teach them this, you have to learn it yourself first. And once you learn it yourself, then you're able to teach it to them because you're going to model it just like David's modeling golf for Grady and I can't model golf for Grady. He's not learning Jack Diddley squat for me in golf other than I can drive him there and I'm pretty good at putting. Other than that, it's just a free for all. 
We went to Drive Shack and I was able to hit the ball, but when it started like playing games in Top Golf, I don't know if you've ever been there. It's like an indoor golf place where you hit the ball over and over and over and super fun for like two hours. Everyone's hitting the ball. Well, they have games built in where they have like bullseyes built out into the course and the monitor will tell you where you hit it. And so we were doing that and it was just a free for all, whatever I was going to hit. And sometimes you try to get like, there's monsters in the course. And so you try to hit the monsters. It's super fun. Well, we're playing this and David's hitting the ball super hard, but he's also like hitting it in the bullseye. I'm like, oh, you not only know how to hit it, but you know how to direct it. He looks at me like, that's kind of the purpose of golf. Like for me, I just want to make sure I make contact with the ball. That's a win for me that I don't whiff it. That's my grading scale. So if I'm whiffing it, then I'm going to have a little more grit. Like, okay, Kelly, focus, get in the game better. But if I'm hitting it and I'm not hitting where I need to, and I have an inexperienced golfer, then I'm going to give myself grace. See how that works? If David's whiffing the ball, he's going to have to have some serious grit. For him, if he's not hitting the target or even coming close, then he needs more grit to focus more on hitting the target. And if he's hitting the target, but he's not getting the bullseye, then he needs to give himself grace. Do you see how it works? It's different for every person. So with the Pomodoro technique, you can learn this first so then you can teach it, but you don't teach it from a place of here, I'm going to teach you something because kids usually shut down. We're like Charlie Brown's teacher. Womp, 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 womp. We're always lecturing, nagging, reminding, micromanaging. They tune us out. The older they get, the more they're tuning us out. The less we do it, the more they tune in when we do give a lesson. So the best way to teach something, whatever you want to teach, whether it's with golf, David's not really teaching Grady golf. He's just playing golf because David says he can play golf, but he can't really coach golf, if that makes sense. Just like with Grady with baseball, he was a pitcher for the Cubs, David was. So he can teach pitching to Grady, but he can't really teach batting. He knows how to hit the ball. He's around it all his life, but it's a different skill set to teach it and to coach it. And he can do it, but he's not as experienced and knowledgeable as knowing the game, understanding the game, understanding pitching. When I'm watching pitching, like we're watching the World Series, all the pitches look like fastballs to me. Grady and David are like, no, that was a changeup. That was a slider. That was a curveball. I'm like, what? How many pitches are there? Don't we just throw it over the plate? And they looked at me like, uh, what? But they're learning through watching. They're learning by practicing. They're learning by talking about it. There is something out there called the ADH visual timer. And people, when they hear this, they're like, oh, I need to buy it for my kids. I need to fix my kids, fix my kids. No, 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 buy it for yourself. And then teach your kids through using it, through modeling. And it's a timer I used in the classroom. And it worked so well for kids to kind of gauge their time, so to speak. Because when you tell a child to write a story, let's say, and you have 20 minutes, well, in first grade, they have no concept of time, especially in the beginning of the year. They don't know what 20 minutes means. So my parents used to teach my sister when they were trying to explain 30 minutes to them. So my parents would tell Jennifer, it's one Mary Tyler Moore show. Like that's how old we are. And so Jennifer would know, oh, it's about a 30 minute show, but they don't really know because their brains are thinking that their parents are monsters and they're unzipping at the end of the night and taking off their monster costume. And that's why you can't sleep with them. How are they going to understand what time means, especially the younger they are? So this is a great visual. And what it does is it's a zero to 60 timer and it gives a really good visual where it turns all red. You kind of move it like a, almost like a, clock, a, fa a face of a clock, and you move it to how many minutes there is, and then it shows red for how much is left in the task. So it's a very good visual for all kids, and all of my students benefited from it. And so you put that timer on, and they can kind of gauge their time, monitor their time, where they are in the story, where they're on a cleanup, whatever it is, and that you can do for 45 minutes, you can do for 25 minutes. I remember I learned that I could empty the dishwasher in one minute or less, and I learned that by the blender was going, and I don't like the cling-cling of the silverware because I have really bad misophonia and my ears are so sensitive. So I was like, well, the blender's already going off. So if I empty the dishwasher and do this silverware now, then this is my brain. I won't hear the cling-clang of all the silverware. 
So I'm like, I have one minute of this loud blender, which I don't like the sound either, but I'm like, I'm just gonna bust through it and see if I can do it in one minute. And I was able to. I was like, this is amazing. I'd empty the dishwasher without the Pomodoro technique would take me 15, 20 minutes because I get distracted. I put something away and I'm like, oh, this silverware drawer needs to be cleaned out. I'm like, if you give a mouse a cookie, I'm like, ba 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 And so when we use the Pomodoro technique or racing against the clock, but not from a place of exhaustion, but if I finish in a minute, great. If I don't, I'll just add another minute. So with kids, it might be with a song. It might be with a visual timer. Sometimes I'll give Grady my watch and he'll use the countdown timer on my Apple watch because what it does is it has a countdown timer. And then when it's done, it just vibrates on your, on your wrist. So sometimes when I'm doing this podcast, I'll put the timer on so I don't go too long-winded or I make sure I stay on topic. I don't start talking about some random stuff that has nothing to do with Pomodoro, which I do all the time. But then the watch will vibrate. I'm like, oh, that's right. I'm like a monkey, Pavlov's dog. Kelly, snap out of it. Get back on task. Tangent, 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 tangent. That's the way the brain works without managing your mind. But when you manage your mind, your mind won't manage you. Just like when you manage your time, your time won't manage you. So try this out. Your brain will try to stop you and that's okay. This mixed with block scheduling, game on like Donkey Kong. Because guess what? When the timer goes off, you're done with the task. If you need to add a little extra, that's great. If it's a small task, like I was talking about with the dishwasher, adding another minute. But if it's something like cleaning your bathroom and you set the timer for 15 minutes, you clean in for 15 minutes and then you stop. And your brain's not so overwhelmed the next time you go to do the thing because it's like, it's only 15 minutes. It's kind of like when I go for runs, I don't tell my brain I'm going to run for an hour. I say, we're just going to run for 15 minutes. Then when we're done with the 15 minutes, I've gained so much momentum. I'm like, it's okay, brain. We're just going to do another 15 minutes. And so my brain knows that it's lying, but it still gets on board because the first 15 and the in the starting, the 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 start is by far the hardest on the planet. And if someone passes me, I don't stop to talk. I'm like, I can't stop because if I stop, I won't start back up. I'll lose all the momentum. Or if I like am crossing a street and there's a car, I don't stop running and wait for the car to pass. I literally run in place or I'll turn around and run the other way to kind of buy some time because the big mo really, really matters. I love you guys and I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Hey mamas, thanks for listening. If you had any ahas, clicks, or those lightning bolt moments while listening, you have to check out my free parenting bootcamp where we take all of this to the next level and we try to create even more awakenings for ourselves so that we can connect more with our kids and never yell at them again. You can sign up at www.coachingkelly.com. And if you really want to fill up my love cup, send me an email of what your aha was, what your click was, what was that lightning bolt moment while you were listening. I want nothing more in life than for you to have harmony in your home and to learn how to be an imperfect mom like me which allows your kids to be imperfect too, each and every day. Thanks for listening.